You're listening to episode 18, Republican Bullet Points, with special guest, Judge Philip B. Journey. I feel like I'm jumping at a boxing ring. <laughs> I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Yo. Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians, what makes us different and what makes us similar. It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. <laughs> How you doing, Phil? <laughs> Donald, it is so awesome to see you again. Well, it's great. You know, Phil and I served in the Senate together. Uh, Phil is known as the uh, the lion uh, of, of <laughs> politics. He's he he's very well read. He's a smart senator. He's a smart judge. Uh, but we're on two different. We were on two different sides of the aisle, weren't we, Phil? Yes, we were. And, you know, only half the people in my courtroom agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're pretty you're pretty fair, Phil. I, I know try. That. I try. Phil, I want to introduce you to Diana Elliott, my co-host, uh, a phenomenal uh, co-host. We've we've been doing this for quite some time. And uh, Diana, meet Phil. How are you, Diana? Phil, we're so happy. I'm very well, thank you. We're so we're so um, thankful that you could join us today because there's so much to unpack with everything that's going on, oh. and to have someone well, we, like you with us is I know. pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> Diana, I want to I want to run down uh, Judge Journey's um, bio, if that's okay. Yeah, let's and, do it. Um, just really quick, in, in uh, 2003, uh, Philip Journey was appointed to the Kansas Senate and elected in 2004. He authorized over 30 enacted bills, including statewide preemption, voiding anti-gun ordinances, um, RTC overriding the governor's uh, veto twice, legalizing... Yeah. <laughs> legalizing class three firearms and suppressors. His awards also include 2006 SAF Legislator of the Year, uh, 2012 Kansas State Rifle Association, 2A Defender, uh, NRA Board of Directors, 1995 to 1998, 1993 FCRLDF Activist of the Year. He served on the uh, KSRA board for over 20 years and as president in 2003. Philip is the author of multiple pro-gun newspaper editorials and magazine articles and is a former talk show host on both TV and radio for 15 years, a frequent commentator for the government affairs show Kansas Week. Described by the state's largest newspaper as a political lion and by governing magazine as a conservative strategist. Mr. Journey is a 4-H rifle and pistol instructor active in Cedric County and a CMP master high Power rifle instructor. Whoa, you love those guns. Uh, you know, you know me, Donald. You know that that was that was the one for one audience. You know, I've I've been involved in a lot of other things too. Well, you know, I was happy that you invited me over to your place. One, you know, several years back, and I was I had the the privilege to you know see a bit of your arsenal. Uh, can you tell oh. us a bit about that? Well, uh, essentially. 
I really enjoy collecting historical firearms, and I really enjoy shooting uh, competitive level firearms that are essentially Olympic level uh, competition firearms for uh, usually like most of them are like 300 yard, uh, like I can find any time to go do that. And then a lot of uh, handguns too. I also, uh, and I was telling you that I love, I love my British rifles. I love my little smellies and uh, SMLEs. And I have lots of uh, ones that were made in Australia. In fact, I can think of about a half dozen in the accumulation. So... Wow. You know, uh, it's like a, a Sportco Omark 44, which was a beautiful, beautiful single shot competition rifle made. And then the SMLE made at Lithgow factory uh, there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Orange factory that made some of the bayonets that are all in uh, Australia or were. Wow. They still have they still have a museum at uh, Lithgow. Um at the Lithgow factory. Wow. It's it's so good to talk to somebody with a different perspective. And coming at it as you do, it sounds like yeah. you feel as as a sort of a sporting and an enthusiast yeah. of guns. But, oh, um, one of the one of the Sportco forty four rifles I have was actually an Australian team gun that they shot in the oh. Commonwealth Games. So wow. yeah, it's all numbered and got stickers on it and you know, the guy's initials and how do you get is that just sort of an online sort of uh, well, sale? Well, they, you... they were imported into the United States many years uh, ago. Okay. Uh, perhaps yeah. when the Commonwealth Games came to Canada the following year. And so mm-hmm. uh, it may have been a gunshot in those games there and then disposed of rather than brought home. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's wow. got the cutest little coin sitting there in the in the stock, <laughs> you know, with the kiwi or whatever it is. I don't know. You want to come see them, though. <laughs> I would love to come there. Well, well, you, you you have a place to stay. You know, you definitely have. Oh, a place to stay. you're awesome. Uh, Phil, people often ask, you know, Donald, you're a Democrat, but you know so many Republicans. Well, I often say, well, I'm from the state of Kansas. We work together for the for the greater good of the state. Although we may disagree sometime, uh, it's likely we 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 leave with some type of compromise. Can you give our audience uh, understanding of our of our politics in Kansas and talk down that line? You know? Well, uh, let me tell you, Donald, I think things are changing here too, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, and well, you know, I mean, like, you know, I'm getting ready, I'm in the middle of my election right now for running for my fourth term as a district court judge, and I've got an opponent. And so part of the process I did for that was I just said, well, let's just see what the internet has with my name on it now. And I found a book that somebody had written and quoted me. I think it was when Sarah Brady came and spoke at WSU, and it had to be about like 92 maybe 93. And, you know, there were people that wanted to shout her down, wanted to deny her the forum. And she'd been invited to speak at the, at the Wichita State University. And, and I told them, you know, and the quote in the newspaper was that essentially, you know, there's a difference between opponents and enemies. And these people are not our enemies. They're just our opponents. And we need to keep that distinction clear. The reality is that every person deserves respect and so do their views. And, you know, if you don't agree with them, don't agree with them. But uh, don't think they're any less of a person because you don't agree with them. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that simple. And yeah, I, I sent you, so I've done further research and I sent you the link to the public broadcasting system show on hacking your mind. And essentially uh, what has gone on in the world in the last decade is brainwashing by algorithm through social media. It was absolutely an amazing series. There are studies I can find that basically go through the same analysis that because of the way the algorithm works and it only shows the user similar views, it uh, reinforces their confirmation bias. And so Mm -hmm. as they become self-indoctrinated by only seeing similar views and having opposing views or distinctions uh, filtered away from them, uh, they become, in a way, drawing conclusions from to create facts that have not been shown yet. Mm. So it becomes very difficult to argue with someone because the, actually you end up, they, it's almost like they take it as an article of faith now. And so it's like it's trying funny. to argue with someone over religion and whether, you know, John 316 meant this or meant that, you know, if we can't agree on policy, you know, that's not possible when we can't even agree on what the facts are. And, and that's where we seem to be. There is so much vitriol in the body politic that the opposition statements or concerns or expression of in views and interpretations uh, are suspect before you ever hear them. Yeah, I mean, what did your mother tell you, Donald? She said, listen, before you talk, and then if you're talking, you're not listening. So everybody's talking and nobody's listening. It's it's just that simple. And uh, it's something that we have to try to counter because the natural consequence of this progression is going to be quite serious. Well, that's, it's very much a theme that's been recurring throughout our recent episodes, I think. That's why it's, it, we, we're hearing it now from so many different people, like a professional communicator. We interviewed a um, former speechwriter from Washington. He said that pretty much the same thing, that, that we're in these echo chambers of our own views and everything's just becoming more and more and more divided and, and entrenched in that division. So perhaps we could turn to, because we wanted to, we've, we've got so much to talk to you about, Phil, um, but one of them, the first things is the selection of judges in America and in, by contrast to the Australian way, because we are all sort of like, God, there's so much media about this, you know, proposed nomination for the Supreme Court in America. And it would be helpful if you could enlighten our audience. Um, Certainly, I, I would about. be happy to. Okay, Kansas is unique. Uh, the way the federal system in the United States is set up is essentially that each state is its own political experiment. And so the states all vary in how they select their state judges. Uh, Many states, many judges are selected by what is called appointment and retention. So essentially they're appointed by the executive branch or the member that is authorized by statute or constitutional provision to appoint someone to fill that seat. And then the judge will stand for retention election. In some states, it's probably every four years. In some, it's every six. Kansas reorganized its courts in the early 1960s. And when they reorganized that court as a process of the adoption of the constitutional provisions, then each of the 31 judicial districts in Kansas had a vote. And they could choose 
re- appointment with retention for their trial level judges. That's what I am as a trial level judge, you know, juries, murder, homicide, divorces. That's what I'm doing now is family law. Uh, and then others could choose uh, essentially a partisan election, just like a state legislative race. And that's what we have in my judicial district is um, election. And so when I chose not to run for the Senate in 2008, uh, I chose to run for district court judge. I had a primary and a general election opponent. And then uh, the next year in 2012, I had a primary opponent. 2016, I got a pass. That was awesome. And now this year I have a general election opponent. And this will be the last time I run. Let me say that from my observation, regardless of the process, it is full of politics. Whether it's appointment and retention or partisan election, I think the advantage of the partisan election method is that the politics are at least for public view rather than in a back room in the bar association or the Bailey or, you know, I don't know what you guys call it in Australia, but uh, you know, the, the lawyers get to pick them and recommend them and then they get appointed and then they're there forever. You know, federal judges in the United States in the, federal government in the United States, of course, they're appointed by the president, regardless of the level, and then confirmed by the Senate. And the Senate has the job of, it's more of a challenge process to that nomination. Is that correct? Okay. That they can once, once the executive branch makes its nomination, then the United States Senate will have a committee hearing. And their witnesses can testify in support or in opposition of the nominee. Then the, comp, then the committee will vote whether to recommend that nomination favorably to the entire body of the Senate or not. And uh, we have certainly had uh, in our recent history uh, confirmations that didn't go very well. You know, Robert Bork is the one that comes to mind that seems to have started this tit for tat uh, procedural war between the Republicans and Democrats in the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. And you talk more about that and, in your articles. Um, yes. I guess we'll put those articles up on our show notes, Phil, just so that you'll, um, our audience can, you know, peruse through them because they're very well written and very, mm-hmm. very detailed. So thank you for that information. Uh, you know, I, I did that on my own time and um, I had great concerns based on what I saw developing over the last two years. And now that it's coming to uh, a peak, shall we say, I mean, you know, we're in the goofy time of our elections the last 30 days. People sometimes do really stupid things and silly and desperate. So, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is. What would you, could you just sort of give us the the sort of the theory, you know, your case that you're making in these articles? Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read them, but... What, what's your sort of proposition? Okay, that you're writing uh, about that? because I'm a judge, I cannot publicly endorse other candidates except judicial candidates. But I've always had a concern in my heart for the right to keep and bear arms. And the reality is that this election appears to be shaping up as essentially the Waterloo. And I'm trying to uh, motivate people to get out there and make a difference 
to choose the candidate they wish to support and do the grassroots things you have to do to be successful. The reality is that when, and there are some wonderful United States websites out there. 538 is a good one. Uh, 270 to win is another great one. And then my absolute favorite is realclearpolitics.com. And those are not partisan sites. Those are professional analysts. Uh, Real Clear Politics does a wonderful job of compiling every major credible news article and on different topics from science to politics to the elections. Uh, They have the maps where they uh, basically interpret the polling that they found and the trends that they see to call the races and look at where they're at. Uh, Right now, it looks uh, like it's a two out of three chance that the Democrats hold the United, uh, take the United majority in the United States Senate, and a two out of three chance, which I think it's probably gone to three out of four, for uh, Joe Biden's success. But you know, people were saying that same stuff four years ago too. Yes, they were. They sure were. You know, I, I, I remember. You know, you know, you remember Carol, right? Yeah. Uh, the cheerleader at KU, right? Well, you yeah, know, yeah. she's living in Manhattan and we had tickets for the Daily Show with uh, Trevor Noah uh, yeah. two days after the 16 election because we're going to visit our daughter. I had a break and and uh, we were all, we were right. At, she lived like two blocks from Trump Tower in an apartment. And, you know, we're there on the street. They had Trump Tower all blocked off and people were crying. Literally crying, crying in the streets. And then we went and saw the day. I couldn't believe what I saw. I could not believe it. We could not get into Trump Tower. You know, my wife wanted to, my wife wanted to ride on the escalator. I mean, who wouldn't? And, and so, you know, we went to the Daily Show and, you know, Trevor Noah is there just going like, what in the world happened? And I mean, I laughed more than he did. <laughs> I believe you did. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. We were right on the front road, too. <laughs> but I love that show. I watch it every night. I, you know, I love John Stewart. I think they're hilarious. I think it's important to understand other people's views. And I mean, you know, it's like I'm probably the only Republican, you know, that's listened to NPR for 40 years. <laughs> You're probably so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I prefer news that's credible rather than supplementing the confirmation bias. And, you know, in the Senate, okay. you have always been that way. I mean, uh, we worked on that Scruffy's law, your Scruffy's yep. law. Yeah, uh, the Animal Cruelty uh, Act. Oh, Scruffy Magnum law. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, I think Senator Haley had the Scruffy, you had the yep. Magnum. Yeah. Magnum's the name of the dog, not what I carry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you carry nowadays? <laughs> well, you know, buddy, it's a little crazy out here. I know. I and, know. you know, you know, honestly, I mean, we're in a county with half a million people, uh, 325,000 voters. People have no idea what goes on. They, you know, when it's my turn to do search warrants and I'm on call 24 hours a day. I, I, you know, I'm reading these search warrants that the applications of probable cause to go kick in doors or do whatever. And it's absolutely crazy. Mm. I'm on uh, I'm on um, domestic violence restraining order 
duty, that supplemental duty that I have to do periodically. I've mm-hmm. got that for two weeks. This week, so far, it's been pretty good this week. Last month in September, I think I had 40 petitions for uh, temporary restraining orders the first day that week, which is a lot. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I think I think the economy's uh, in, in dire straits. And I think it's much harsher on lower economic groups. I'm listening to a marketplace this afternoon that they said that if you had a BA degree, you got your old job back. But but that now in Kansas, the unemployment rates below 8%, which is just awesome. But the people in the $24,000 a year and below wage and hour salaries, they're, they're still at least at 15 or 20% because there's just no servers. There's no positions for servers. Mm. You know, going to a restaurant's the most dangerous thing you can do. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think they're very well configured. I mean, right now I'm fighting to get our courthouse to be as safe as it possibly can also. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I met, I'm dealing with the naysayers still. And it's just, it's just unfathomable to me. But I try to be patient, as I have been with mm-hmm. you most of my life. Yes, you yeah. have. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Judge, I uh, I'm voting for you. You're on my ballot, and um, because I've seen you work, and I know you're sensible, and I know we probably can't talk about this, but I have to send mine in, and it's 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 not confidential anyway. So I'm yeah. putting it out there that you know anybody listening to this, thank from you, the, from my area, both for field journey. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, I don't think there'll be any Democrats here that hear that. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know, I, I I sincerely appreciate that, Donald. I do. I'm desperate to ask you some questions about the NRA and to to the extent that you're comfortable answering them because you some. have now been a. Yeah been appointed to the board so congratulations on that but I guess from an Australian point of view obviously you'd be familiar with the fact that after the massacre at Port Arthur in 96 I think it was where a lone gunman killed 35 people with a semi-automatic weapon John Howard the Prime Minister at the time nationalised the gun laws and then created a sort of an amnesty and a buyback scheme which completely locked down the ability to own a semi-automatic firearm and also introduced a lot of controls around garden variety guns I guess you could say and every time we hear about a massacre especially at a school in America in Australia, we just mm-hmm. scratch our heads and think, "What? why can't they do anything about it? Why is the NRA coming out and saying they need to put um, security guards in schools rather than control the guns that are out there? I, I would be happy to talk about that. You know, these tragedies, which, you know, every time my heart goes out to the people who are the survivors that have to cope with it, and they ask those questions that are inevitable. And, you know, they want to do something. And I can't blame them for that desire. But, you know, one thing I used to tell Donald was that, and many times these incidents are generated by people who have severe mental health problems that somehow slipped through the cracks and were not, they did not have actions like court actions or court cases filed against them because they're a danger to themselves or others and they need to get treatment, all right? So often, and I, I don't wanna sound callous about this, but a, a politician has the same primal survival skill that any animal you can think of does when it comes to politics. 
and and they have the desire to appear to do something. And the reality is that real answers to real problems in society are very expensive. Enhancing the mental health system, enhancing law enforcement, building the courts, making sure that a conviction is accurately and transmitted to the FBI in a timely fashion so that that person will be in the national database for a background check. Those are all incredibly expensive propositions. And then you just have to ask yourself, how much does gun control cost? Not very much. much. And so they have the benefit of the public perception of being proactive when in fact they're reactive and really not doing a whole lot. Uh, When you look at other data that has been available for decades in the United States, the United States Department of Justice annually completes a victimization survey because the reality is that many criminal incidents are never reported to the police. They just say, ah, they won't catch them. I couldn't see them, I can't identify them. And they just go on with their lives. And I understand their blessing that it didn't go worse for them. Uh, And so this victimization survey goes out and looks at real crime rates. And uh, by response to the survey and then extrapolate from the sample size what the real numbers are. Because we know how many are reported, we know how many are prosecuted, we know how many are convicted, but we don't know how many actually occur. And so when you look at that survey, and I mean, it's, it's like it's like every year, it's like this thick and it looks at so many, it's absolutely, you know, I mean, I got my first degree in accounting and I love statistical analysis. So it's fun reading for me, but most people, I yeah. think they probably put themselves to sleep with it every night. And so um, essentially the last uh, conclusions that I've seen that have been consistent over the last 15 or 20 years is that about a million people a year in the United States uh, brandish a firearm and thwart a potential crime. And so while we have, yes, one is too many. We have incidents where individuals with, that are mentally ill use a firearm but do you or, have, other tool, but do you or have, other tool yeah. to kill dozens yeah. or hundreds of people. I mean, I don't know if you remember the Oklahoma City bombing. He no. used a U-Haul mm-hmm. truck and common everyday fertilizer to kill over 120 yeah. people, including 30 children. But nobody wants to ban ammonium nitrate. They regulate it a little tighter. And uh, all my mm-hmm. farmer friends complain about it. And then, uh, you know, they didn't ban U-Haul trucks. When we mm-hmm. saw the horrible homicide in Charlotte, Virginia, with the Proud Boys march, all right, and the guy, you, you know, ramming the people with his car. Nobody talked mm-hmm. about banning Dodge Vipers or Hemi Kudas. You know, that, so, you, so is you know, I mean, they are 15 mm. and I have piles yeah. of them. I build them, I yeah. assemble them, I, I go shoot them. Well, I, I don't have time. I mean, if I took three guns out every weekend and sighted them in, I'd be busy for years. But <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, I would. But, you yeah. know, I, I enjoy the science of it. You know, just yeah. like I watch astrophysics on TV, I enjoy the science of it. And, and competitive shooting is the application of physics to reality. But do you think, though, that there's a difference between, you know, the million people that you or the million incidents that you believe were thwarted by people being able to carry, if I understood that correctly, 
But they don't have to be carrying semi-automatic rifles that are more souped up than what the military uses, do they? I mean, they can carry a Well, little... they're entirely different. I mean, I, I, I can send you a video where I've actually shot uh, with my kids a uh, real full auto. I can't afford one, mm-hmm. but uh, they may look the same, but okay, fully automatic. You hold the trigger down and it fires, ejects, loads, fires, ejects, loads until you let your finger off the trigger. Semi-automatic mm-hmm. has been around since the turn of the 19th century. And I mean, the first one designed in the 1880s, 1890s, not very good designs, but still design. Same form and function, just a little better design. So the reality is that uh, we are faced with a dilemma that there are millions and millions and millions of these out there and people feel very strongly about it. I noticed that Australia had an, uh, had an amnesty. You could still turn them in a year ago, uh, you know, because mm. there are people out there possessing them illegally, apparently. Mm. And I mean, you know, yeah. what are you going to do with them? You're going to prosecute mm. them all. You're going to put them all out in the Northwest Territory in a little box and let them all like wander around on Tasmania. I don't know. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, Phil, you know, I get a lot of questions about, uh, I get a lot of questions from Australians about asking me whether U.S. will ever have a significant gun control. I don't know. Well, we got 20,000 statutes now. Isn't that enough? you know we do have significant gun control you know you look at cities like uh chicago washington dc you know we had to go to the united states supreme court and say that there is actually uh which the supreme court agreed in mcdonald and in heller that there is actually a constitutional right to have the ability to protect yourself and your family so you know i mean where are the highest murder rates Donald, you know, Chicago, New York. Yeah, the big cities. Washington, D.C., where it's a complete ban on possession. So, Donald, what year were you born? I forgot. 1978. Buddy, buddy, when you were 22 years old, Uh I quit counting at 50,000 cases as an attorney. Mm. And, you know, and I so I've seen an awful lot. And, And one thing I've figured out is that if they're criminals, they don't mind breaking the law, you know. Uh, some some do it out of ignorance. Some do it out of a moment of temptation. Some are having impulsivity issues. But you know, the the ones that are really thoughtful through it, they they don't mind. Well, you know? my, my grandmother would sleep with her 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 gun under her pillow. And I don't think you could come in and take her down away from her. Uh, you know, I, I I am really concerned about what I expect will occur after this election and how things will develop. Because how, how, do, I, how, how, how do you th- how will they develop? What do you, what, what okay. Do you OK, what I'm saying is, one, that uh, right now there is a lot of conversation. There's a lot of anger on the left be- with I mean, how crazy has it been in the last 15 days? My you know, goodness. this yeah. whole year has been right. Right. OK, so let's just let's just talk about RBG. OK, yes. Brilliant jurist. Brilliant jurist. I mean, you know, she's like the female Thurgood Marshall. Uh, absolutely amazing lady. And it's tragic that she died. The timing is even worse. Uh, the reality <laughs> is that the president 
has the constitutional authority to make the nomination. He has done that. And the Senate has the constitutional authority to move forward on the confirmation. The rule that they're talking about when it was four years ago and Merrick Garland was nominated by Obama and Mitch McConnell said, not only no, but heck no, uh, we're not doing it until after the election. Now, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer's relative positions are exactly opposite. Four years ago, Chuck Schumer wanted the, wanted the nomination to go through, and Mitch McConnell said, no, let's let the people decide after the election. And now, four years later, they're both exactly opposite. And that was the point I made in the article. Now, you know, when you look at the national media, it's only Mitch McConnell that's a hypocrite. Well, Lindsey Graham, too. But oh, no, you Lindsey know, Graham is the hypocrite. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. So, you know, what do politicians do? You know, Donald, what do politicians do? They say the expedient thing to get them through their immediate short term problem. We never did that, Phil. Uh, you know, I tried not to. <laughs> <laughs> but the temptation's always there. Yeah. I mean, you know, you saw me take pretty hard stands. Yes, I did. Against you know, y'all. I mean, and, against and, members you know, of your own party. You know, absolutely, because I didn't think it was right. Yeah, I know so, that. So, you know, that don't happen much anymore. How do you think this election is going to uh, fall out? I mean, what? Okay, okay. So here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Okay, on, on top of that, on top of that, after the election, what what does our what does the population look like? What's going to happen? I mean, we've seen all okay. of this riots and everything. Feel people are saying, okay, we get through November third, the president is selected, the new president or the uh, Trump is reelected or Biden is elected. And then what happens after that? What does the fallout look like? I, that's okay, what I'm, okay, okay. Let me let me go back real quick. Okay, here's the fallout. Okay, you start with Robert Bork. That you know, you know. I mean, what? It was so bad. Everybody agrees it was so bad. They made a new verb <laughs> named after his hearings. Okay, all right. Then then you had Clarence Thomas, and I don't know how you feel about him, but you know, if Mitch McConnell was very young at that time and he thought it was horrible what they did to Clarence Thomas and he resolved to pay him back. And so with the Federalist Society's help and with victory in the executive branch, Mitch McConnell with as a majority leader in the Senate has been able to move forward. Now during the Obama administration, when the Democrats had control of the Senate, they eliminated the filibuster rule on trial judges. All right, so they could get the Obama nominees through the Senate Judiciary Committee and in to fill the positions. All right, and you know the filibuster rule is you don't get to have a real vote until sixty senators agree. And what that does is that prevents the tyranny of the majority. It forces the two parties to work together to come up with some compromise so they can get at least enough of the minority party to agree with the majority that it goes to a final vote straight up or down. So when Kavanaugh was nominated or uh, the guy that was the answer to Garland, Merrick Garland, which was Bush, which was uh, Obama's nominee. Okay. Uh, Gorsuch. They, okay. Yes, Gorsuch. You're right. And he's from the 10th circuit. We're from anyway, he came from the 10th circuit. So, they eliminated the 60 vote requirement, the filibuster rule for Supreme Court nominations. Mm. And now, and now 
that the left believes they are entitled to the RBG seat. They're all talking about re- replicating what uh, FDR did in 1937 Increasing and, and passed and pass a statute that says they're going to expand the Supreme Court to 13 or 15 justices and give Biden all those appointments and overturn the current majority, which will apparently be six to three. So the, the other thing is that uh, they're also talking about eliminating, and you can look it up, like Chuck Schumer, the guy that's going to be the next majority leader if the Democrats have the majority, uh, has said they're going to eliminate the filibuster rule on legislation. And oh, that, no. uh, and that and yes, yes. And that is absolutely incredible because they want to get something done. And so they're going to make the United States Senate run like the House. And so it'll be, it will no longer be collaborative. It'll be like a civil war battlefield, which is how the, that's how the operating structure of the house is. So what's going to happen is, what's going to happen is I'm really concerned that these, these tit for tat procedural things that these guys are doing to each other when they have control will be the catalyst and the justification for further civil unrest. Now that, and then that's mm-hmm. when the guns are going to come out. Well, you know, they're already out. You know, they've been very limited in their incidents, but we have some pretty just unsettling things happen. Oh, that stand by, mm-hmm. stand back. Was that you a, know, was that a, a, you know, a, a I, dog I, whistle? I, I think, well, you know, I mean, I don't know what the president meant. You can ask him. Uh, yeah. I'll call him but, tomorrow. I'll you know, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll answer, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 we can probably call Mike Pompeo, though. I still got his oh, cell phone. Probably, you we, still have Mike's cell phone. Yeah, we, 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 <laughs> we text back and forth. You know, I'll tell him happy birthday. You know, that's tell him I say it. hi. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I will. So we're we're in some trouble after the election. We we can I, look I, we can look forward to something significant. I, I'm I'm really concerned about it, and that's why I'm so strong about telling my friends, just like I did you, about the, for example that show Hacking Your Mind, which was it, it was absolutely phenomenal, eye opening, connected all the dots for me on the scientific research, and told me how. Uh, you know, I don't know if these guys are the devil at Carnet or they're just trying to figure out how to make a buck. But, you know, all they want to do is get your eyeballs on that ad. And they'll use anybody's words to get you there on Google or Facebook or, you know, YouTube. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Right. So, you know, that's how they make their money is with your click. You know, you're not a customer. You're the product. Have you seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Yes, I've, I've heard a lot sim- about it. I have not had time to watch it. I'm going to look forward to well, it. But it's, it's very similar, similar in that in, line of thinking, yes. Yeah, it doesn't sound as scientific, but it's about that if I if I click in, you know, into Google climate change years here in, in Melbourne, Australia, it will be completely different what pops up as to what you would get in Wichita, Kansas. I, I think and that's, that and that's absolutely sort of correct. And, and that's Geo probably why we have this issue of deniability and global warming. Mm. You know, and I think Donald will tell you, I'm sure he'll remember that when we were in the Senate, I said the question isn't whether we're warming or not, it's the cause and whether we can actually moderate it. Mm-hmm. Because the truth mm-hmm. is, that's all we're going to do. The ice caps mm-hmm. are going to melt and, you know, it's whether it's in 10 years or in 40 or 50, you know, but I'm hoping that somebody comes up with some wonderful scientific breakthrough that just breakthrough that just gobbles up CO2 and, you know, puts it somewhere that's inert. 
Well, maybe there's something mm-hmm. on the moon, well, some try. substance. Yeah, yeah, you know, there, there, there's, there are, there is technology being researched right now. For example, scrubbing the CO two out of coal plants, mm-hmm. exhaust, and things like that. But you know, then what do you do with it, and where do you put it? Right. You know, you can compress yeah. it and put it in the ground. Ooh, you know, we've had a great experience with fracking. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. I can feel and, it and now. Then, I'm yeah, shaking now. Oh, I, you know. I, I lived here. My I've lived here in Kansas my whole life, and in Wichita area since 1961, and I don't remember any earthquakes until I was like 58. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fracking. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. is obviously, obviously, and you know we've been mm. fortunate that there haven't been any really big ones. But, uh, you know, people forget that the biggest fault in the United States actually runs up the middle of the Mississippi. Mm. And there was there was an earthquake there in like 1804 or whatever, where they said the undulation was so big that the river actually flowed backwards. But of course, there weren't any buildings there. It was just forest trees and bears and Indians. And, you know, so nobody really got hurt. Well, you know, Phil, we, we, you know, ban the guns are banned here in Australia. So no, they're not. You can still I mean, own them. Well, I can buy yeah. parts from there. You can, yeah. Well, I mean, light, for, in terms of carrying one and like, you know, someone, you know, showing, you know, pulling it out. But I, I'm t- so in America, it, if I were in America, back home in America right now, and you know, I just finished my law degree in Australia. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm following in your footsteps, Phil. So if I was to come back home and I want to, you know, purchase me a gun, What's a good beginner gun for me to um, to purchase? Okay, I've also been a, a certified handgun instructor for about 25 years. And my recommendation is one, take a safety class, that's a choice, and then get a revolver. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a semi-automatic, you have to worry about whether the rounds in the chamber, you have to worry about whether the safety's on. And, you know, I, I tell people, you know, you need to go shoot the thing. You need to shoot at least 50 or 100 rounds every month for at least a year so that the semi-automatic firearm becomes autonomic. So that mm-hmm. you become trained, that you can clear a stoppage, so that you can be proficient and uh, hit your intended target. Handguns are very difficult to shoot uh, accurately. And so uh, there are lots of aids, that's, uh, devices that you could put on the firearm where they come installed in them, such as a laser, that takes the difficulty out of it. But, you know, shooting a handgun accurately is uh, a very difficult task that is mastered. So can you buy an automatic weapon in, in America? Yes. If you were just... Yes. So... And just, yes, but and, it, 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 and, and Donald was there when <laughs> we passed my bill that made it legal in Kansas. You oh, know. that was a tough one. Hey, and we filibustered, I believe. You know, but Kathleen yeah. signed it. Yes, she Kathleen, did. the governor Sebelius signed it. Yes, yeah, she Democratic signed that one. Signed it. She sure right. did. And, th- and that's because the safeguards are in place, are so strong on a federal level that uh, they have almost never been used in any crime. Uh, And there are hundreds of thousands of them uh, are in the country. So there are basically two classes under federal law of fully automatic firearms, those made before a date in 1986 and those made after. The ones made before the date in 1986 that were lawfully registered uh, can be transferred between individuals. The individual that purchases it has to fill out a form, send it his fingerprints and mugshot, and it takes it right now, it's taking nine months 
to get the clearance approval uh, to get your federal tax stamp. And that's what it is. It's a tax major so that you may possess and own one of those fully automatic farms like an Uzi or, a, you know, an FAL or something like that. So and can you still purchase uh, them at Walmart and, and the departments? To, uh, like well, you get, Kate, Walmart's not selling farms anymore. But, uh, you know, we've got the gun show this weekend at uh, Chisholm Chisholm Trail, my club's gun show, out at Hartman Arena now. And so, you know, we'll have about 450 tables and about 8,000, 10,000 people go through the door. And if you purchase from a federally licensed dealer, you still have to pass the same background check that you would if you purchased it at the store, even though they're not at the store. So the background check is mandatory for all transactions with a licensed dealer. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll send you the video. They are a lot of fun. You remember my two little kids, Lauren yeah, and Derek? I remember, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I put the a... Big uh, kids I, now. I, I mean, put a... Oh, they are. Yeah, Lauren's going to... Lauren's 22. Derek's going to be 21 next month. But I took them out to a friend who is wants to build a museum, and he's a firearms dealer that is just absolutely amazing. And so we... He said, Phil, just bring the ammo because he loves Derek. He's in the Navy. You know, he saw them all grow up at the gun shows with me. And so I took them all out there, you know, and they whined and complained the four hours it took to drive out there by Dodge City, you know. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, I put a a Heckler and Coke. uh, It's like the modern equivalent of the MP5 in a 45 ACP caliber in her hand. And, you know, after she got through her first magazine, she had the biggest smile you ever okay. saw because it's just fun. You know, I should have <laughs> taken you up on that. Uh, I should have taken you up on that. You know, you just have to come back here. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, Clear up that. Let's let's clear up that coronavirus up there first. Yeah, and then, okay. Uh, well, I, I know there's more cases in the White House than Australia today. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Even though I we're have, locked down, I have not had except one hearing in my courtroom since March. Really? Yeah. Not one. We do it all by WebEx. Yeah. I'm lucky that I'm not doing criminal. I'm doing family law right now, so I have significantly reduced due process rights to address than I would on someone that is uh, uh, in custody. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're in a very difficult place right now because we have not had a jury trial since March. We have over 50 Mm -hmm. homicides uh, awaiting jury trial. There's a possibility that someone will end up with a speedy trial violation and have their cases dismissed with prejudice. Mm. because they were in jail too long. And then now about 40% of the inmates are hot as a pistol. And getting coronavirus. Yeah, 40% of them are infected right now. Oh, they're infected right now. God. So, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's really scary. As a Republican, how do you feel about Trump's coming out with this with his, you know, he's had COVID and now he's parading and telling everybody that it's nothing to see here. It's it's he's he's invincible after having the treatment. Donald I mean, is not Boris. No, no, no. Donald is not Boris. Boris uh, had a day of reckoning. Obviously. Yeah, Prime Minister. Oh, Prime Minister. Yeah, Boris. Yeah, he was mayor of London. Now he's Prime Minister. Right. So, you know, he was they were all talking about, let's just do herd immunity and see if we can manage it. You know, I mean, that's what they were saying. Yeah. And they were so wrong. And yeah. Boris figured that out after he got sick. So so, so with so with the president three days out of out of the hospital, 
what is that what message is that giving to the american people that you can fight this thing um i'm 70 plus i can i if i can fight it you can fight it so just get out there and and do life as you would normally do it or i mean what what's this message you know, Judge, well, I, I I think his message was what he said on the balcony, which was don't let the virus control your life. And it's not that bad, which I, I you know, if I was standing on that balcony, I don't think I'd have said a single word that was the same. Not one. Who am I? I'm, I'm just this little guy in Wichita, Kansas. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it is tough. It is tough. I mean, you know, but we all armchair quarterback. Well, what do you think I, is the priority to be solved? You know, it, you've talked about this. Okay. What do I think your priority, priority should yeah. be for our nation? I think dealing yeah. with COVID in a constructive, relational, scientific way uh, is number mm-hmm. one, because everything else hinges on that. This yeah. thing can go south on us so quickly that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we watched it spread in just a matter of days throughout the leadership of the United States government. You know, mm-hmm. when we were on the phone before we did the show and I said, oh, my God, I just can't believe the news today. Basically, the chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the governing body of the military and like the second tier and like the commandant of the Coast Guard and they all got it. They all got it. And there were at least uh, 10 confirmed cases on the military leadership. I'm certain that the command structure is sound. And so that the guys that are just under them that haven't been exposed are fine and will manage it quite well. I mean, yeah, we don't have a Dr. Strangelove, you know, (laughs) who might take advantage of the situation. I, I, I think that everything hinges on that. You know, not just not just people and their lives, but the economy, our schools, our society. There, It is tragic that there are those that have apparently taken advantage of the circumstances to try to promote their own political agendas. Uh, but I mean, you know, that, that's that's just politics. They think they're working the people's work when they're just singing their only verse. So I think that that's got to be number one. I think that there are significant concerns in foreign policy around the world that the United States needs to address with constructively. I think China is a great threat. It's obvious to everyone that is watching that what's going on in Hong Kong, that they have no relationship reluctance. No reluctance to, uh, I, I think, you know, with what's going on with the Uyghurs, it's just a much prettier building than the Cultural Revolution. But, mm-hmm. you know, a golden cage is still a cage. Mm-hmm. And the things that are going on there are scary. Uh, Russia is uh, essentially a mafia organization, only on a much grander scale. Uh, you know, and so the free countries of the world are facing threats from every direction. And reality is that countries like the United States, England, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, they are all outnumbered significantly Mm. in both resources and in the number of nations. So, uh, you know, what do we do to do that? I heard a statistic the other day that gave me pause. And that was that in the previous three years, China has poured more concrete than America did in the 20th century. And I mean, you know, that puts it in a perspective to give everyone a thought of where we are going and the, the things that are going on in China right now in their attempts to use peer pressure to control the population are incredibly effective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they end up getting a citizenship score based on this software operation and the feedback from their friends that determines whether they get a visa to go travel. 
or whether they get to go to the university or, or, you know, all of the, whether they get an apartment. And so they use those rewards to to get people to conform their behavior. And I mean, it's a, it's a social media app, just like Mm -hmm. Facebook that they get their citizenship score on, just like your credit score from equity plus or whatever it's called. So, you know, I mean, there are real threats out there in this world that are, should be genuine, genuine concern for all of us and should be a motivating factor to, for you nations to get together and start trying to figure mm-hmm. out a grand strategy to expand freedom and expand liberty and not figure out how to conform everyone to their view, but to live with the natural chaos that comes with freedom. Because it will work itself out, just like Adam Smith's invisible hand. If you don't mess around with it, with rules, the economy will work. People will make rational decisions for themselves, in theory. Although, if I watch my daughter buy a car, it's all emotion. Anyway, <laughs> you know, she the likes Lucy's. the color. Yeah, I'm going to like, no, it's a piece of crap. No, you know, it's got a bad transaxle. Look at all these reports on Consumer Reports, you know. And I've got a whole pile of Volkswagens. I love little Volkswagens, you know. If they're not oh, air-cooled, they're just, they're just cheap Audis. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I've got a bunch of old Porsches, too, which if they're not air-cooled, they're expensive Audis. So, <laughs> quite the collector. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on, Philip. That's just been a really interesting odyssey and walkthrough, a journey, if you will, <laughs> through America. Yeah, that's not sure a double entendre I haven't experienced before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I really had a lot of fun. It's so great to see you again, Donald. So not good. Kidding about that. This is great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. so much for listening to us today on Greenland. If you'd like to become a Greenlander, visit greenlandthepodcast.com and follow the links to subscribe. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast listening app. Um, That really helps us to kind of percolate to the top and to also get a nice little bit of feedback from you guys. If you'd like to send us an email, you'll find uh, links to contact us on our webpage as well. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. 